Hello humans, my name is Jesse, aka The Bizzle, and welcome to my very first audio commentary for the science fiction movie Moon, directed by Duncan Jones, starring Sam Rockwell, and Sam Rockwell, and the voice of Kevin Spacey, and one of the great science fiction movies of all time, one of my favorite all-around movies of all time. It was made on $5 million dollars looks 10 times that, but it doesn't even matter because it's all about people and stories and the future and manipulation and existential crisis and so many other great themes. Science fiction is always about the ideas for me first. The futuristic visions are great, but like most of the great sci-fi that I love, this is what they sometimes call speculative fiction, which basically just means near-future science fiction. So I'm not going to say a whole lot more than that. I could go on about this forever, but I think I get it in pretty well during the commentary. So you are going to want to queue up your DVDs or Blu-rays, computer, television, whatever. I'm going to count down three, two, one, and then say play, and you should hit play when you hear me say play. And hopefully it'll align pretty well. As usual, I recommend people put on subtitles, obviously. I like to put on a little ambient sound. It depends. Some people can't handle two sound streams at once. But if you put it on like 10% or so, depending on your TV or headphones or whatever, you can just get some of the music and ambient noise in the background um, a, a good guide is during the silences in my commentary, which aren't many and aren't long, but there are some, you should just be able to hear the dialogue softly. And you should be able to hear the music while I talk, but not so loud that it overtakes my talking. Although it depends on your watching experience. I leave it to you. I watch and listen to a lot of audio commentaries. And so I've actually done a few already, the Matrix movies and a couple others, but I wanted to release this one first. So I hope you enjoy it. We're about to start the countdown. Here we go. Three, two, one, play. All right. Here we go. Welcome to Moon. The reason I wanted to do this movie as my first commentary is because I talk so much about big epic sci-fi movies and properties. Where are we now? Here we go. A little exposition. Let this play a little bit. Nothing groundbreaking here. A lot of stock footage about pollution, overpopulation, lack of fuel, and sort of similar to how Serenity starts where you think it's just a narrator that's telling you the backstory of, of the Firefly universe, the beginning of the Serenity movie. You think this is just straight exposition, but you realize this is actually a propaganda video. And not just a propaganda video for humans on Earth, for the HE3 helium energy supply that they are getting from the moon in the near future. Now we see people smiling, even these horrific environments. But it's also a propaganda video that our hero who works for Lunar Industries on the moon by himself, or so he thinks. He might not watch the video itself, but the propaganda behind the video 
is what gives him the um, motivation and strength to take on such a difficult project. Running on the treadmill, not too many places to go. It's already more spacious than the floating space station. Um, and now that we've seen you know, footage from the International Space Station and, and from space shuttles, makes sense. You know, it, it's it's ground-based on the moon, but it still can't be too big and expensive. So they show the picture of the satellite, which is a communication satellite that is mysteriously down for long periods of time. Here's the mining base Serang. Crew one, contract three years. So, you know, right away, it's unclear why you would just have one person stuck here for three years. Although, some of that insight comes later. This was a very low-budget movie. It was directed by um, Duncan Jones, who is the son of David Bowie, actually, and who's now become a much bigger director. Um, but this is his first film, and... I'll check the budget in a little bit, but it was, you know, 10 million, 20 million at most. And the effects that they get out of this tiny budget are amazing. Totally buy it. The only real CGI shots are when he's in the lunar lander, or I should say the, uh, the, the, the lunar rover. You see it from the, uh, you see it from the outside. Um, other than that, pretty much everything here including um, Gertie, the AI system, who's voiced by Kevin Spacey, is all practical effects. And the practical effects are one of the main reasons I love this movie, how well they were done. All right, here's the rover. He's going out to check, see what's wrong, make sure everything's working. So as I was saying before, so many of my, um, not just reviews in terms of Age of Ultron or my Terminator podcast to talk about the Matrix, I'm going to have some uh, Matrix um, commentaries coming out. I actually did commentaries for all three. I'm going to release those at some point. So now, I think we're in CGI mode here as it rolls out. Now we're definitely in CGI mode. This could just be a, a model a remote-controlled model. It looks like a remote-controlled car. I mean, it'd be bigger than the small one that you play with on the street. Uh, music by Clint Manziel has done a lot of work with Aronofsky, another one of my favorite directors. It's just great at suspenseful, mysterious, dark, existential kind of music. Look how beautiful the moon is. I'm sure they modeled this specifically from a terrain standpoint on a certain part of the moon. Here's the harvester. Um, somewhat reminiscent of what I think the Dune harvesters look like, the, the harvesters that, um, uh, that harvest spice on Dune, the planet Dune, and in the book Dune, the planet is also called Arrakis. Great how they have the credits, you know, kind of overlaid on these various shots here. So the story is by Duncan Jones, who's also the director. He had someone else write the actual treatment, which I think is a good idea. I mean, unless you're Joss Whedon and a handful of guys, it's so hard to wear all the hats. But the story's his, and you can totally tell. And, you know, they really go out of the way to make 
this near future look pretty much like ours. Everything's very industrial and practical. Um, not like any you know, holographic computers like you know, in the Matrix or in the Marvel movies. It's a great image. Sam Rockwell is so amazing in this movie, so I'm going to hold off on that. Um, so while we're watching the introduction to the, you know, quote-unquote universe that they're building here, the world building, the reason this movie's so brilliant and is pro probably in the top ten, definitely in the top ten of my sci-fi movies, it could be in the top five, um, is the smallness of it. Like with Ex Machina, which came out recently and is very critically acclaimed. Everyone that I've talked to loves it. I'm going to do an AI podcast soon. Um, but it's one guy, one station. You can tell that he's lonely, that he's been here a long time. He's starting to lose his mind a little bit. Stop caring about cutting his hair or shaving. You know, making smiley faces on the wall, past the time, pictures of home. And, you know, we're not really sure why he can't communicate live with Earth. He has to send messages and then wait for messages to come back. Now, you know, we're told that there's something wrong with the communications uh, satellite or uplink. <laughs> Gertie gives him a little shot there. He's getting frustrated with Gertie, but you can tell he spent so much time, just the two of them, that he's starting to, to look at Gertie like a human, basically. Now he's shooting out the helium-3. That's a package of the energy that they're harvesting. It's extremely powerful, obviously, it's such a small package. Gertie's doing his hair, he's trying to clean himself up. He's getting ready to go home, or so he thinks. But movies like this are very reminiscent of some of the best sci-fi stories, especially sci uh, science fiction short stories by guys like Ray Bradbury. This could totally be a Ray Bradbury book. Um, deals with one person in one situation, and yet with the tiny budget, the basically two-person cast, if you count um, Gertie, uh, Kevin Spacey, as a character, which you have to. So it's a two-person cast, basically one big set for the whole movie, other than a few shots in the landers and a couple CGI shots, and yet brings up so many philosophical issues and moral conundrums and thoughts about the dark side of mankind on both a mass level, but also the individual level. We see that he's become pretty expert at um, modeling. Uh, he's modeling his town, where he's from, I believe, and trying to get every detail right. And that's, you know, three years of work right there, or so it seems. So this is where you know, the movie really starts to tank off because he sent his message, he's shaved, he's getting ready to go home, and there's a message from his wife. It's all he has. She says, I know you're lonely up there, but 
It's been good for you. For both of us. That's heartbreaking. It's like she doesn't want him back. And why would you say that? I mean... There's this kid. She's adorable. Look at him. He's so happy. This reminds me a lot of, um, or I should say, since it came out much later, that Christopher Nolan's Interstellar from last year, when Matthew McConaughey is an astronaut in the somewhat near future, in a post-apocalyptic scenario, he has gone through a wormhole to the other side of the universe to find new habitable planets, is in a, a major gravity well, which, as we know, slows down time for those within the well, and so he's not aging, and his eight-year-old daughter, who he loves, is now sending messages to him you know, decades later, and he's crying tears of both sadness and joy as he watches. It's his only connection left. Sam Rockwell, who's, by the way, named Sam in the movie, and, and I don't know if it was one of those... Um, you know, just coincidences that happened. Um, I think I read that Duncan Jones basically wrote this movie with Sam Rockwell in mind, if not specifically for him. I wonder if it was one of those things where he just used Sam in the original treatment as a placeholder because he liked the name and he was thinking of Sam Rockwell and they're like, oh, beautiful shot. See, we're seeing it from the Earth side, looking towards the moon, seeing how far he is and yet so close. He's named his plants, that plant's name is Doug. I mean, he's really starting to lose his mind, but Rockwell does a great job of, you know, selling that he is trying to hold on to his sanity in any way possible. The uh, new agey music in the background, as he cuts his plants, he's humming along. It's almost like the serenity now from Seinfeld. He's trying to stay serene and calm, but you can hear the crackling in his voice. Um, he's watching some stupid TV show. Usually these TV shows mean something, but I won't go there. So I often talk about with science fiction that the best science fiction for me always comes down to what does it mean to be human. And that's why as much as I love Matrix and some of the Terminator properties, uh, the original Star Wars trilogy, old school Star Trek, um, and as well as some smaller sci-fi movies like this one, also Ghost in the Shell, and some of the more intellectual, um, oh, he's got a little vision here, burns his hand, he's really starting to lose it. And Gertie does everything for him as we see, he takes care of him, he heals him, he cleans him, he does logistics, he's so reliant on Gertie. And he, he's constantly saying, uh, uh, you know, pal and buddy. And, and Sam's lying about being distracted by the TV. Gertie says the TV wasn't on. You're imagining things. And so, you know, he's already losing his mind. But that weird wife from his video, he can't communicate with the home. Now he's seeing visions of a young girl. And Gertie keeps telling him, you know, you're just, you're seeing things. But, you know, you don't need a $300 million budget to tell us what it means to be human. Or, or at least I should say, to get us to think about what it means to be human. 
Um, he must masturbate so much. If I was alone on the moon, um, you know, it's funny they don't show porn actually in this movie. They're really trying to keep him a regular guy, I guess. Although these days, I would say regular guys watch a lot of porn, um, or some regular guys do. But he must have fantasies about his wife and other people all the time, one would think. Um, maybe he just gets bored of it after a while. But you'd think that jerking off would would be part of the schedule. Anyways, here's his little room, you know, which is funny. It's like, it's a big room, but he's still kind of sleeping in an alcove as opposed to just a normal bed, um, which sells the coldness of the, the place and the space. Has little slippers. He's a Tennessee Titans fan. That's pretty hilarious. Duncan Jones, who's English. I wonder who suggested that. Uh, but I'm not sure Duncan Jones knew who the Tennessee Titans were. Now, and now this begins uh, the. I'm not gonna say this begins the main storyline, but this begins the okay, what the hell is going on? Um, part of the film, which lasts until the end. He is clearly. Like we said, starting to lose his mind a little bit, but now he appears to be physically sick. And, you know, it could be a cold, uh, but because of how brilliantly uh, Sam plays it, you can tell immediately that something is just off. He's still eating disgusting food. Two weeks to go, buddy. Would you like some hot sauce? His tummy is tender. We're getting little hints. He's not feeling well. Gertie is going to start becoming more um, inquisitive about this. Oh, he just saw the video go crazy. Okay, so it happens really fast, but the video scrambles and he sees images of what looks like a version of himself with a very, very long beard. And you know, we, we can extrapolate that he had never had his beard or hair that long. As long as it wasn't beginning, that was way longer. And he's not sure what his eyes are telling him at this point, but he saw something there. He saw himself, but it wasn't himself. Looks like one of the machines is offline. I think that's what he means by a live one or something's malfunctioning. The suits are, are very modern looking and nice and dirty, which I like. It shows he's use them a lot and probably not getting a lot of new suits. All right, so this is where this is where shit starts to where shit starts to happen and I'm I'm playing it with the subtitles right now. I, I don't have any of the actual music going. Uh, maybe I'll bring up a little music because this is the moon theme right here. That Clint Menzel is playing that is very creepy and mysterious, but also it's a little bit like hero music. It's like tragic hero music. And what I love about the movie is with all the early visual clues with communications being down and him being by himself, video from his wife, can't talk to her. We kind of know already that he's going to be the only character in this movie, the only major one. Now he's seeing things again, Start gets distracted by something. And then, here we go. 
Yeah, I'm gonna leave the sound in my earphones here a little bit. There's not a whole lot of dialogue in the movie, which is part of what makes it great. So he crashes the thing because he saw something again. Crashes the rover, had a vision. Looks like maybe the same girl that he saw sitting in the room before when he burnt his hand. That's a great image. You know, I mean, when you have a low budget and you only need a few big CGI shots like that and they're fairly static and the color's all gray and you just need some texture and some movement and some noise, it, it's brilliantly executed. There are movies that have 10 times this budget that have uh, inferior CGI work. Now they usually have to do a lot more CGI work. So here they could pick their spots. Sam says he doesn't remember. You know, Kevin Spacey is so creepy. And this is clearly a takeoff of how from 2001, the sort of creepy AI and the emoticon thing is so brilliant. I mean, this is, I believe from 2007, I want to say. But it was definitely, even if it was 2009, it was well before emoticons. You know, now there's a key on your freaking iPhone that lets you access like a thousand emoticons. I still don't understand why people love emoticons so much. But the fact that they were ahead of the trend, you know, it accomplishes two things. At the time when you see it, you're like, oh my God, that's just creepy. Um, smiley face. I mean, that emoticon we were familiar with. Still, you know, just bizarre and very childlike, but creepy. But now you watch it, you're like, wow, they're way ahead of ahead of the curve here and it's those little guesses about the future the near future that you know it's almost harder to write science fiction stories set in the near future because you know if you're a director let's say and you're in your 40s you'll probably be alive when some of these technologies come to pass or not pass and you see what you were right about what you were wrong about um the case of gertie as the ai they invented a way, again, like Interstellar, where, you know, they don't, they're not Terminators they're, or, or Cylons. They're not walking robots. They have different ways of moving around. They have different appendages. They can, you know, bend and contort in different ways and do all sorts of stuff. Okay, now this is the conceit of the movie. And this is, you have to buy this, even though it's totally unrealistic. Because what happens is he catches Gertie speaking a live feed um, or, or speaking to ground control via a live feed, which we have been told, or at least hinted at, has been down for a long time. But Sam catches him doing it. Now, because Gertie's a, a machine and robot, it's not really sure why he has to talk to the people on the ground. Why would they risk Sam finding out about it? You know, why can't they just communicate with him via code directly through a computer interface? And it's really the only part of the movie for the rest of the movie that is a little bit of a reach um, in terms of believability, not in terms of scientific believability, because I don't care that much about that, 
but because of what I call logistics or mechanics. And, but because they sell it so well and it's so quick, the same way that the image of the, you know, the, the Sam with the long beard or whatever that he sees on the scrambled computer for a couple of minutes, all these little things, it happens so quick, you don't really even notice it, or I didn't until the second viewing or third viewing where I was like, okay, why is he, why does Gertie have to speak you know, verbally with the people on earth? Why would they risk it? It looks like the same guy. It's obviously still Sam Rockwell. But, you know, he looks he looks in good shape here. You know, he's muscular. He's got those arms, the chest. Not coughing or, or sort of stumbling around. Very, very healthy looking. So when Sam went to go, when Sam went to go um, fix uh, the, the harvester earlier and then crashed, I believe Matthew is the name of that particular harvester. And so Sam here sees that it's stalled out, but he doesn't put together or, or know why it's stalled out still or that it had been stalled out before. And so... You know, when you rewatch the movie, and, you know, I, I hope you guys have watched this whole movie, so I, I'm going to not do the whole non-spoiling thing. So we find out that this Sam is not the same Sam. And that's why this particular Sam, who has, you know, somehow been programmed to think that he's been on the place for a while, and... So here's it's the same people that Gertie was talking to, but um, it's not a live feed. It's a message, and they're saying don't don't you know poke around with the harvester. Stay put. We're sending a, a team to check it out, and Gertie says I can't let you outside. So we can already tell the personality difference. The other Sam was sort of weak and ineffectual, and had, had given up on stuff. Now this Sam, you know, recognizes the model that that's been built, the model of, the, of his, you know, town or whatever that that the other Sam had been carving. This guy's all business, and so, you know, we're getting so much character building that makes way more sense when you rewatch it and knows what's going on. Is that Sam's basic personality? There's strength. There's some defiance. There is um, a strong will. He doesn't like being told what to do or being pushed around, which is interesting because you know, you'd think sending uh, someone on a one-man mission for three years by himself on the mood, uh, you would want something extremely passive uh, and not uninquisitive, uncurious. Although, you know, there is a possibility that this Sam is different than the others or that the other Sams aren't the same. He's really he's trying to break his way out. 
pal. You know, he, he thinks he can he thinks he can trick Gertie. And then he thinks he has tricked Gertie or has convinced Gertie to let him out, but Gertie knows what's going on. Gertie decides to stop fighting and At this point, you know, Gertie seems like potentially a bad guy, or at least a tool of the bad guys. Um, I probably shouldn't use the word bad guy. That, that he's an antagonist, or, or he's working against our protagonist, Sam, who, again, is looking very vital, very strong, even though it's the same guy. Sees that there's a suit missing, I believe, there, and there's a lander missing, a rover missing. I mean, little things. And this is what's so brilliant about this movie, is that it works on such a philosophical level, but it works on such a practical level. And when I say practical, yes, practical effects, but I mean pragmatic. I mean, you know, each step of the chain in terms of the reactions of the characters and the flow of the plot and the dialogue, it just all works. This is a great shot here. I mean, for the budget, and I'm looking up the budget as we speak. Uh, for the budget, this just looks great. I'm watching it on my big TV. I don't have a huge one, but it looks pretty damn good. Just goes to show you, if you pick your spots with CGI and special effects. Now, you know, right here, you can sort of tell it's fake, but because it's probably a model, and they really are moving that one uh, uh, rover and the other one's buried, this is all practical here. They really built this. Now, this might all be on a soundstage, this framing right here of the lander in the ground crashed up against the harvester. But it's all about color matching, it's all about lighting, and you add the sound and the drama and the suspense. You know, and here, here comes the moment of horror and surprise and shock that sets off the events for the rest of the movie. It's already been put in motion by this other Sam crashing, but when Sam finds Sam, um, and it's funny, I actually recently, very recently recorded the Matrix podcast, and you know, my favorite of the Matrix movies, not the best, but my favorite is Matrix Reloaded, where the infinitely multiplying um, Smiths is one of my favorite parts because it could be such a hokey thing. I mean, they just pull it off so well and, and make it logical within the story. But this goes to show you that just one double, and it's great, his mask is all covered. We know what he's gonna see here, but it's still horrifying. Now there are some very prestige, there are some elements of this movie towards the end that are very prestige-like, and, and I'll save that for then. Um, he knows who he is, or he knows what he is. But Gertie is concerned and not trying to give away too much information. You know, the small scope of this movie is amazing. We're a half hour in and we're, we're one third through, but the plot is humming along. 
So Gertie calls him Sam. This is the Sam that we knew at the beginning, obviously. He has some facial hair. His hair's messed up. He's got some injuries. And this is great. And this is, I talked about in the Matrix Reloaded podcast that even when it's one Smith talking to another Smith, they manage to make them slightly different. And there's practical reasons for doing so, but just makes it even that much creepier. And so I'm going to call, refer to them as old Sam and new Sam. So the Sam that's injured lying down, that's old Sam. The Sam that's standing up in the flight suit with the glasses acting all sketchy and trying to, you know, not give away his identity to old Sam. That's new Sam. And we're going to see over the next 30, 40 minutes in the meat of the movie how different the Sams are, which brings up so many uh, uh, interesting thoughts about humanity and, and, you know, nature versus nurture because the core of Sam's being is, um, is a mix of nature and nurture, how we all grow up. You know, what country we grow up in, what socioeconomic status we grow up in, what our parents are like, what schools we go to, but we also have genes and things like that that help create our identity and define who we are. But this is a very specific case of Sam of a certain age in a certain place, in a certain time, dealing with a certain situation. And it brings up interesting ideas about how tiny little things, even if we were, even if we could do an experiment where we took a person who didn't have a twin and made a twin of them and didn't let them know that they were twins and had them go through life processes that were identical over six months, but occasionally tweaked very, very small things, how different would they end up? Now, obviously, this is a much different timeline because new Sam is seeing old Sam, which has never happened before and was never supposed to happen. So here's new Sam watching a video of the wife, which you'd think was sort of, you know, if they have a video, a fake video archive of all these videos from her, um, she's saying, I need time to think. And I, I think, you know, this actress, and when I say actress, I don't just mean the the in real life actress who's played that woman, but the woman in this video is an actress. As far as we can tell, we later learn it's not his wife, not his kids, or if they are, you know, if he does have those things, we don't know if that are these people or how manipulated this is. If she's in on the whole thing, if that's even his wife, uh, look at old Sam, just in horrible shape. And anyways, but with this video from the wife, she's saying, you know, maybe we should be apart. Now you'd think, that the video that they would give to new Sam, since he just arrives, quote-unquote, in his mind, that the first number of videos would be very supportive from his wife because they want him to be docile, they want him to be obedient. But in this new twist, because now they have to deal with the situation, because ground control is pretty well aware that new Sam is either A, going to find old Sam, or B, could find old Sam, and they got to come take care of it. And you can fill in the blanks about what they mean by taking care of it. These guys put it together eventually. Um, but I think the idea is to do whatever you can for new Sam to not want to come home and stay put, which is what they want. 
So neither of them understand what's happening, but for different reasons. This Sam's losing his mind, as he says. He's already been losing his mind, as we saw in the first open, you know, 10, 12 minutes. This Sam is just angry and confused and hurt. And so his appeals to Gertie are on an, like an emotional level. Whereas a new young Sam, who's still healthy and hasn't really lost his mind yet and just trying to figure things out like a detective, his questions to Gertie are much more pointed and rational and logical as he tries to piece it together. And these two Sams, as we'll see, really do not get along, which is another hilarious commentary on... Uh, self-hatred of humans, especially in, you know, difficult circumstances like this. So initially he was supposed to, quote-unquote, go home in two weeks from when the movie started. And we will learn what going home entails and how it is done. Here is new Sam. He's working out. He's ignoring old Sam. You know, it's funny. New Sam should be the more practical one with this head straight, but he's still in full defiance mode here. He's in denial mode. Old Sam can tell instinctively that there is something Something going on. These shots are amazing. It's so hard, again, on a small budget. In the budget of this movie, I was wrong. It's even lower. $5 million. $5 million. Made only $136,000 opening weekend. I'm sure lost tons of money, but was an indie film. Won a ton of awards and has become a cult film. And $5 million is, is worth it if you're a studio. Um if you think it has possibility of becoming a cult film and making your company look good. So they're, they're not speaking the unspoken thing. They, I don't think they ever say in the movie the sort of I'm you, you're me. They never openly say that as far as I can tell. They just accept it in their own ways. Well, they're not really even accepting it. They're just acknowledging it at this point. So old Sam's deny about being a clone. New Sam's already put it together. New Sam hasn't put together the entire conspiracy, but he has put together that they're clones. Because his mind is slightly healthier and more together. And, you know, uh, just after old Sam says, uh, you know, I'm not a clone and doesn't really believe himself, but is trying to believe it. He is trying to keep his routine, which is what people do in horrible circumstances or, you know, in very trying times in their lives. The best thing to do is go back to routine for him. The routine is the plants and it is the carving of the buildings of the town that he is from. It's interesting. He doesn't say, I've been here three years. We know that it's a three-year mission. He goes, I don't know. I think about three years. So 
he can feel on like a cellular level that the whole three-year thing is bullshit, but he doesn't know how to express it. Yeah, he's lonely. This is so, this is so heartbreaking. All he wants is a little human contact. He doesn't care that it's some creepy double and he could be losing his mind. He won't, he won't shake his own hand. There's a type of self-hatred going on here. You look just like me. It's incredible. Old Sam's now accepted it. <laughs> Why do I look like you? Why don't you look like me? We look like each other. Classic. Reminds me of, you know, Bane in, in uh, the Matrix movies. I think it's in Revolutions, the final one, when he wakes up from his coma and you know, he knows that it's Agent Smith inside of him, but no one else does. And he goes through this whole weird speech where he just says, well, if I'm not me, then who am I? Meaning that, you know, we can have one person that's really two people, but we can also have two people that are one. This is great. He doesn't even know how to play ping pong. He's the healthier, more vital one. He's the new Sam. But you can tell he has no idea how to play ping pong. And shortly, old Sam, who can barely move, is holding the racket, he kicks his ass. I I've tried to figure out how this works. 19 too. he's chewing gum. His hand's taped up. The other guy can't even play. That's great. That's great. I think that was probably improvised because the camera stayed on it. He, you know, he could have come around close to the camera, but other, he goes the long way and then jumps on the table. I have no idea how they did this. I really don't. I wonder if there's mirrors involved. And because these sets are practical, there's no green screens. Green screens are usually how you do doubles. You know, when you have Agent Smith, you have like 50 Agent Smith, it's a mixture of body doubles, CGI doubles, and, you know, using a green screen and, and filming Hugo Weaving over and over and over again in slightly different positions and doing slightly different things. Movie was 2009, by the way. So, new Sam is pointing out all of the places from the, the model of, of Sam's town. And, you know, old Sam should be able to put together why new Sam would know that, but he's still, there's an existential question here. They're two different bodies, two different minds. Is there an oppositional binary going on? Are they acting differently than they would just because they're going off of each other? Talking about the wife and, and kid. Kid was, I guess, born, you know, after he was put on the moon. <laughs> Our little monkey. She might be the milkman's. I love that he's considered the possibility that his wife's cheating on him, which makes the other messages from her even worse.
Here's the message to Sam. They're talking to one Sam. They either don't know there's another Sam, they're hoping there's not another Sam, or they just don't want else to do. I love how, <laughs> how evil the rescue crew is, the Eliza crew. I mean, you know. If you haven't figured out that the crew is not up to anything good when it comes to the Sabs, then, you know, that says it all. All right, old Sam hadn't heard about the rescue unit. New Sam's pieced it together. This isn't about going home. Uh, you're a fucking clone, you don't have shit. Old Sam is is really losing. He he can't reconcile all of these different things. New Sam put it together. He New Sam just assumes it's all fake. It might not be. There might be a test. And it might be a daughter. All this stuff, but everything's being manipulated, and so he can't trust anyone, including his own self. Asshole! Don't get your panties in a twist. I love they just insult each other. It's so great. Because it's always funny and upsetting at the same time. All right, so here's where they start trying. Here's where New Sam's trying to piece it together. So the model was there already. We learned when Sam, quote unquote, arrived or woke up. How many other Sams are there? New Sam knows that the, the, there's so little time lapse between his being woken up and the uh, crash of old Sam, you know, was probably hours before that he must be in the base. He, you know, he's already putting together, there must be other clones in the base. And the writing and pace of this movie is so good. And, and you're just so into the dynamic of the two of them that, you know, if you go into this movie just trying to figure out the plot, you might have figured it out by now, what's going on. A couple of spares, but now they're just telling you. Whether he's right or not, it makes sense that there would be, quote-unquote, spare Sams, other Sams in the base. Geppetto, Pinocchio reference. So the anger of New Sam, it's hard to tell if it's just based on the events of the last few hours or whether there is something different about this Sam. Is his programming off? Are they even human? Is the cloning program imperfect so that they can only approximate each new Sam? Perhaps they can make him look the same but not think exactly the same because we know the brain is so complicated. It's affected by everything it sees. I happen to think that they are exactly the same, but it's just because new Sam saw the contradictions and hidden conspiracies right from when he woke up. Now he's desperate to find it. He doesn't want to see it, but his, his need to know outweighs everything. And old Sam isn't doing shit. Old Sam just is holding on to that dream that somehow this is just a weird hallucination of him. Actually, that's an interesting thought. I never really thought about whether old Sam 
continues to think throughout much of the, the film that New Sam is some sort of hallucination because he has been seeing other people and other things. This is heartbreaking. Now, now the, the trauma of this is cushioned because you know New Sam is right to look everywhere and because you know the model was there and because New Sam is pieced together that old Sam, you know, didn't, because old Sam didn't start the model, that there must have been other Sams or there's some manipulation going on. They, they do have an oppositional personality, uh, a defiance personality thing going on when, when they get pushed, but they've never been pushed this way before. I mean, who has? So it's possible that when they were chosen for for this mission, or the original Sam, or whoever was chosen for the mission, or or the, they might all be fake. There might not be an original Sam. I think is one of the conclusions that there was no way of knowing that in this completely bizarre and insane scenario that you know that Sam versus Sam would cause rage and anger and aggression. When we saw at the beginning, you know, Sam does not seem naturally to be an angry, aggressive guy. And this is just two desperate men with an existential crisis. New Sam believes correctly that they're going to be killed by this supposed rescue team. Old Sam is starting to realize that he's dying. And this is where the empathy starts to come with new Sam. This is the big change in both characters. Getting his ass kicked, I think, or confirms old Sam's uh, perception of new Sam as real and not a hallucination because it's so visceral. Unless it's a fight club scenario, which would be hilarious. He's punching himself. So we're a little past the halfway point, and as short as this movie is, the fact that they get in 45 minutes to this point where you know there's a conspiracy, you know that the plans of the corporation have gone wrong, you know that New Sam is on to the clone idea. Gertie's so sad. And this is when Gertie you start to realize he might not be Hal. He might not be this sort of evil AI. Gertie has really developed affection for Sam, and it's interesting to think whether Gertie has developed affection for Sam as a concept, vis-a-vis -vis all the many Sams that have come before this Sam. 938 hours. Or whether his affection is for this Sam specifically. I think it's a combination. I think he's Gertie has learned affection for all the Sams over time, but because of the specific trauma and situation of this Sam is really challenging his programming. And we'll see we'll see what his programming is and why the corporation made a fatal flaw in the programming, at least from their perspective, that they didn't realize what happened. Or they didn't realize how advanced Gertie is. And again, we're talking about AIs who are becoming more emotive, who are becoming more sensitive, who are becoming more aware of relationships in the human sense. 
He still hung up on Tess, his wife. Something about the name Tess. I always loved it. Can't help but think of, of Rachel Weiss's character, God bless her, from The Constant Gardener. Again, although Rachel Weiss is in The Constant Gardener, she's dead a lot of it or seen through flashbacks. And so you hear Ray Fiennes' character refer to Tess lovingly over and over and over again, even though she's gone. Sam, I can only account for what occurs in the base. He's giving him a clue. I don't know if old Sam has figured it out, but Gertie is basically saying, hear no evil. It's allowance versus permission. Oh, he asked him straight up. Yep, Gertie tells him. Yep, the crash always is supposed to happen. Here we go, genetic abnormalities and minor duplication area. So this really opens the door to the fact that they are, oh, they're memory implants. Here, here's the exposition. The memories have been changed. There is an original Sam, but each clone isn't exactly the same because of minor variations in, in genetic manipulation, which given the fact that this is the near future, although it's more in the future than Sam thinks, which we will learn, but it's still the near future. Uh, Gertie's crying. The, the animated emoticon, I can't, uh, I guess there are animated emoticons online. I don't use them enough or pay attention to them enough to know. Oh, he's comforting him. And the joints on those three fingers that's the whole thing. That part's hard to know if that's the CGI. It looks like the arm on the right, the main Gertie body there, I think is real. The arm on the right might be CGI. It's so human with, with the joints on the fingers, the way he comforts him and grabbing his sh shoulders. It's not threatening. It's very human. It's very sensitive. It's very sympathetic. Part of what makes this movie hard to watch, other than just the creepiness of it, is old Sam dying. The blood and the coughing, and you, you know what's happening. You're starting to piece together that the best way to keep them under control is for them, their bodies to slowly deteriorate and want to go home so badly they don't question stuff, and then they go in those pods, and we'll find out what, what goes into those pods. Now he's... There's new Sam in the, the suit. Except uh, old, uh, now new Sam's really concerned about old Sam. He realizes he went over the top and he fucked up. He gets some humility finally. And this is where they really start to connect. And, you know, I think this is an allegory of our own inner existential dialogue. This is, this is playing out the battle within ourselves, all the different contradictory sides of ourselves. And this is great. Now old Sam has, is really just giving up. He's trying to enjoy life as long as he can. The song is perfect. The dancing is amazing. It, you know, 
And there is something about dancing. You know, I, I found there are nights when I've been dragged out by friends to go to a concert and I feel like shit or I'm just tired. And if it's really good music and a good crowd, dancing can get you through it. And next thing you know, you've been dancing for three, four hours. Yeah. Now, old Sam is the is the defiant one. Radioactive tampon. Banana with a yeast infection. Oh, classic. New Sam's still trying to figure it out. See, Old Sam is not really trying to figure it out much other than the exposition that he got out of Goethe. Right, here's where he talks about having the live conversation, which I said is a bit of a conceit, but whatever. You need it for the movie, and I'm willing to, to go with it. There are other ways of interpreting it. He, he could have seen it in code or an email, whatever, but it works better visually. Yeah, the satellite's fine. They don't want us to contact Earth. They lied to us. Yeah, New Sam puts it together. If they wanted to block the signal, but keep it out of, of range, or at least at an immediate reach, you wouldn't block from inside the base. It'd be the easiest to find. I love this. this. Okay, so this is when the teamwork starts. Even though they're still not totally on the same page, Old Sam is, you know, coming to terms with it, especially after his, his talk with Gertie. And so two rovers are better than one. They need to cover more ground. You know, because they modeled all this stuff, it just looks better doesn't necessarily look more real, but it looks, well, it does look more real. But at least you're not going, oh, this is CGI, oh, this is CGI. They've never gone out this far. I like that idea. Sam, Sam, in normal circumstances, because of his personality, but also because of the um, conspiracy of the corporation, the way they manipulate him, never gave him a reason to come out this far. He never had a reason to distrust them. You know, you could say that the corporations could build in a lockdown on, on the rovers so that when they went past a certain distance out of comm range, they would just shut it down. But Here it is. The communications disruptor of some sort. It's great. The aesthetics are perfectly in line with the other, the other aesthetics of this corporation and its equipment, but it has a monolithic look to it. Okay, so this is a classic shot. I mean, this is why it's an epic science fiction movie, even though it's on a small amount of area. It only involves a couple characters. It looks like a radar tower or an electrical tower in our world, but you hear the the moon theme by Clint Menzel here. That's that three notes, just sells the whole thing. There's a pylon. I wonder if it's a nod to 2001. Probably not. It's very practical. Oh, God. It's so painful to watch old Sam die. Both because you've come to love him, or at least like him, and just because 
the notion of oh god the notion of having inbuilt uh, built-in programming that makes you uh, die and makes your body collapse and disintegrate when it's time like clockwork um there's a lot of Blade Runner connotations. In fact, it could be in the same universe. In Blade Runner, Harrison Ford is running after replicants who are android slaves who are made by corporations to work as slaves off-world on other planets. Now, all the action of Blade Runner happens on Earth. The replicants are already back. Harrison Ford is trying to kill them, and then he starts to realize that it's more complicated than he thought, that the replicants have, I think, a six-year time span before they die, and they're trying to get to their maker to see if they can change their programming, which, of course, they can't. Um, and these guys are replicants. Gertie says there was an original Sam Bell. So, you know, it is based on an actual human as opposed to a pure android. It is interesting to think if there are android qualities, if there are non-biological parts of their physiology, but uh, you know, that's speculative and really not that important. See, normally movies like this, I, I hate, you know, vomiting and just, you know, blood coming out of weird places, um, especially when it's not caused by, you know, external violence, it's just someone's body breaking down, especially when it's someone young and because it's so artificial, um, well, not artificial, but that it's, you know, been programmed into him for his, you know, because in the normal Sam timeline, if you will, when the when the Sam's uh, paths do not cross, you know, if that never happened, then then this Sam, old Sam, um, oh, the tooth comes out. It's absolutely brutal. Old Sam, this would just make him ready to go, quote unquote, home more and, you know, not question the mission as it gets closer to going home. But this is different. It's one thing to spit up blood, but for your body to actually be falling apart is a whole different situation. Close up of the tooth. There's probably some symbolism there with the tooth. I'd have to think harder about that. <sighs> oh, man. Just great close up shots on Sam, his sweat, his panic, his desperation. Also, very hard to pull off the computer system thing, make it look real, somewhat futuristic, but accessible, and just sort of logistically to understand what's going on. Um, they just do a great job here on something that seems like a small thing. I love how you used Gertie looks. I mean, there are a lot of clues. The suits are dirty, Gertie's dirty. There are lots of clues. Uh, the, the, the town had been partially completed before he wakes up. There are lots of clues, but without a little extra information, like we get in this particular timeline, if you will, because it is like a time loop. It's, it's, it's similar to, you know, like if future John Connor and the Terminator jump back and then say he's 35 and he jumps back and there's an 18-year-old John Connor. But this is even more disturbing than the time loop because it's way more realistic and way more visceral. And, you know, you're not distracted by the crazy philosophical ideas of time loops. It's all about humanity. Oh, he acts. Gertie lets him access the file, and this is brutal. That might be the guy he saw at the beginning in the scrambled image. The fact that you don't see what goes on inside of those pods makes it scarier. And obviously, in each... Um, timeline here we see different Sams and they look a little different they're all sick 
Yeah. Old Sam's putting it together. Just having new Sam there really is not enough for old Sam. He had to get the information from Gertie, and now he has to look visually. I like that he's a visual guy. The plants, the wooden town, now these videos. He's seeing it happen over and over and over again. Now this is the part that's extreme. It gets very much like the prestige, just from a sort of visual, somewhat conceptual standpoint, but we'll get there. Right, and then they fog up the, the, the glass of the pond. And you can guess by this point what's happening to them because they're not all getting shipped home. But I like that they don't show you the actual mechanism of death. And I like it's minimalist. It's not clear where the, the power and the interface is. Manages to close it. It's interesting that no other Sam would have thought to test the pod before getting in it, but they're so sick and dying, they just want to go home. That's why it's so brilliant, the whole plan. See, the replicants in Blade Runner live longer. They live six years, and then they just die. Um, but the slow descent into illness and um, physiological deterioration in this is a lot more compelling from a visual standpoint, especially because they're based on humans and aren't androids, at least not in the, the direct sense of the Blade Runner replicants or androids. Uh, like Starbuck with the Cylon ship in the first season of Battlestar Galactica. Convenient little button there. But, you know, the thing is, you can do stuff like this in a much more complicated way in terms of opening up stuff. But, you know, in the short time of the movie, it's just not worth it. Have a couple conceits. Have the conceit of Gertie talking live on the ground. Or to the ground, I should say. Now, where's New Sam at this point? Old Sam's doing all the heavy lifting, even though he can, <laughs> can barely lift himself. Uh, okay, so, so New Sam is still investigating. He finds a third tower. No, they called Station 2. I thought we saw 2 already. This shot looks great to me every time. It's so convincing. It's so minimalist, industrial, practical. It's great. Oh, there were three jammers. Okay. I like that. You know, there's little, little things. Like if you found the first one, then the second one, then the third one. No, they find the first one, and then the third one, then the second one. I appreciate in science fiction, especially small details like that. And it would make sense that the middle one, which perhaps is the main one would be further out and possibly triangulated with the others. 
There we go. It's quite a drop. Who goes first? The way that a uh, young Sam, new Sam, delivers that line, it's not that he's pressuring old Sam. You know, he's starting to accept that despite old Sam's problems of going crazy and almost dead, old Sam has more knowledge and wisdom than him in some ways. Well, certain, certainly more wisdom because, you know, as we get older, especially if you're mostly a good person like Sam, you gain more wisdom. What's dulled old Sam's instincts are his physical uh, deterioration as well as just, you know, him kind of going sort of crazy. Here we go. This is the prestige part. Um, I don't want to ruin the prestige unless you've seen it, but let's say at the very end um, we see something very similar to this. It looks way different. It's in a totally different time and place, and the reason there's a place like this is completely different, but it is horrifying nonetheless. Prestige, it's used as a final twist. Here it's used as the um, catalyst for the climax. So the length of that hallway of sand bodies is, is very disturbing. Um, it seems way bigger than the base from what we can tell, but they did show us it was a good distance down that ladder to get to the death pod, which they told him was an injection pod. And so it's very possible, I think is the case, that it's actually built into the moon itself, which makes it even cooler and crazier. Here we go. Why'd you help me? He's built to help Sam. They don't even explain it this time, just going on the rover. We are so in the desert of the real, and the desert landscape of the moon just reinforces it. It's like when Neo first learns the truth of his existence and of what the world is, Morpheus is explaining to him he can't understand, and they quote, The Desert of the Real, which is from John Baudrillard, the post-structuralist philosopher who talked about multiple simulations, but mostly about our removal from reality and how we might get back to it. And these Sams, in, in as much as they're human and we don't know the extent, oh, here it is, are in the desert of the real. This is the Bell residence, and this took me a long time to notice, and I'm not sure this is the case, but... This girl, who is the daughter, telling him that his wife passed away, or Sam Rockwell's, uh, I'm sorry, or Sam Bell, the original Sam Bell's wife, uh, passed away. I'm pretty sure this is the girl that he hallucinates when he burns his hand at the beginning, and when he's driving, that eventually caused him to crash. Now, it's unclear how he could have a vision of her unless it was transferred by a previous body who tried the same thing, which wouldn't be surprising before he came home. 
he's outside of range now. Uh, th that was the whole point of going the rover. He's outside the, the uh, communications shield that's keeping live communication out. He's fifth, she's 15. So she was unborn when he left. And so 15 years, do a quick timeline. This is just heartbreaking. Um, hopefully you've seen this before. But, you know, the timeline here is if she's 15 and she has a dad, we don't know if the dad has anything to do. We don't see the dad. The dad could be an older Sam Bell, for all we know, or a totally different person. But he did have the number and he did have the name right and so they say he's on a three-year mission. My guess is he's actually only uh, performing, if you will, for six months before he's eliminated and replaced because we know that the, the execution of each new Sam is he wakes up and Gertie lies to him that he's been in an accident, that he's been there for a long time, and he's going to get back to his mission. And so at that point, he starts getting sicker and sicker over time. So if we say it's six months per Sam clone, that's 30 Sams. That's a lot. Now, they could have gone way over the top and said it was like 300 years later, and that would be 600 Sams, but that doesn't make much sense. And it, make, it lends more immediacy to the situation from a political standpoint, as we will see. These guys have a mission that they don't even know about yet, a goal they want to achieve to hopefully change the world for the better. So here's the countdown. You need a countdown in... Every great science fiction movie that involves suspense, um, you know. Yeah, and new Sam is just learning how to do the wood carvings. He has a natural affinity for it. It's built into the program memories of the Sam clone. But he learns to do these things. And that's the whole point. If he came out of the box, even though he doesn't know he just came out of the box, if he just came out of the box and knew how to do it, that would be no fun. The thing that takes time in life is learning things. Once you've learned it, then it's just you know a matter of becoming an expert and doing it quicker and quicker. Much more immersive in this simulation, if you will, which is a total simulation, even though it's quote-unquote real people walking around, their whole life is a lie. It's a simulation. And so better to have him worry on learning Right, so we already know that the Eliza quote-unquote rescue team is not going to let them live, is not to exterminate them, and here they just acknowledge the fact that they both, you know, made a conscious, uh, uh, have achieved a conscious awareness of this fact. Um, the way New Sam kind of, you know, nods seriously but casually, he put it together much earlier, as I, I commented earlier in the podcast, that at the point when I thought that he achieved that realization... And now he's, you know, new Sam is just so traumatized and just so terrified. And actually, I don't think he's terrified. He's just kind of resigned and he's pissed the way they're being abused, you know. They think like real people. They feel like real people. They try and act like real people. And whether they're replicants or clones or androids or copies or whatever, this is torture. This is manipulation and uh, physical invasion almost on existential level. Their whole life is a lie. They're being used. He is scared. Death is scary. Doesn't matter how fucked up the situation is. 
And that's important to realize that even if he is a replicant or a clone, he's scared and he looks scared and he feels scared. He is human. These people are human. That is the whole point. That's the whole point. And again, this is, you know, I always come back to this where if you analyze sci-fi plots too much, you just go, okay, why do I care about these people? Because the issues are so big, the existential, philosophical, scientific, religious issues. But you fall in love with the characters. You may not always love them, everything they do, but you fall in love with them as characters. Of course, comes from the acting. You know, I, I haven't praised Rockwell enough in this podcast, but it's just so obvious that why even say it? You know, even if you're not listening to some you know ambient sound, you're just watching the performances with the subtitles. It's I mean, look at it's just he's so in this. He is this. Uh, he knows what he did. I totally forgot about this. New Sam knows why old Sam went out of communications range, and he's looking at the file. And New Sam is very affected by this, too. Not to the level of old Sam, because New Sam pretty much woke up into a reality that he realized wasn't reality, as opposed to old Sam, who lived this reality for a while and, and believed in it and had a harder time coping with the fact that it was a lie. But New Sam is still affected by what is or what could have been. Everything's photoshopped. This person is fake for all we know. And this is what happens. So obviously the level of technology on Earth is much higher than we thought. If you can implant this level of memory, you know, it's one of two things. Either, you know, there's neuroscience at a level that we're not aware of that's going to be possible in the near future to not manipulate memories but implant them and make them real. But, or, you know, which I talk about in The Matrix to explain some of the weirder and, you know, it more inconsistent parts of the matrix, the cyber brain theory taken from Ghost in the Shell and a lot of Japanese anime. And it's possible these guys are Android. They obviously bleed. They're they're you know they're human in sort of the Cylon sense from Battlestar Galactica. They have blood and tissue and guts and bones and everything. Yep. He's programmed to not want them to be killed, and Gertie's come to his own conclusions. A new Sam's plan to wake up another new Sam. You know, let's we'll call him Future Sam. So we got old Sam, new Sam, Future Sam. His plan to uh, wake up a new Sam to be here and lying in bed and not knowing what's going on is really the only solution. Now they may still end up killing the new clone and putting another new clone. That makes sense, but it's totally practical, and you know, new old Sam is just trying to survive at this point. New Sam is trying to figure out a way out of this mess to the extent that he can. That's the thing. Watching this sort of stuff usually really, really bothers me, but I'm just so into these characters and the story in this world at this point that I just go along with it, and you had to do it this way. This is a movie where I would have not scaled back the blood because, you know, unlike in these super violent PG-13 movies where tons of people get shot up but you don't even see a drop of blood, here are two people, 
or two versions of one person, and the bleeding and the injury and the descent into death and decay is so palpable, it's so real. And here is the third Sam. Old Sam can't help it. You know, he's almost dead. He just wants to get any sort of grasp of reality at this point that he can. He doesn't have much time. But New Sam's really the boss in this one. And I think it's important because what happens is now he's explaining the plan. That they're going to be looking for a body in the rover. Thinking of killing the new Sam and putting him in the rover. So that the story stays consistent and they don't wonder that a second Sam came back. It's unclear if they know for sure that the second Sam came back. But between new Sam and old Sam, and I should say there's actually a third Sam, which is the Sam at the beginning of the movie when you think everything is just a little weird but going okay. And there's only Sam, uh, there's only one Sam Bell, and he's going home soon. He hasn't gotten sick yet. He hasn't crashed yet. There's no new Sam yet. He hasn't learned all this stuff from Gertie yet. He hasn't pieced together the communications blackout yet. All of that stuff. So that original Sam is just a regular guy. Here we see desperate, sick, you know, fighting for his life. Sam, a guy who maybe was a little cowardly before, but has now achieved a whole new strength. Yeah, and new Sam is high five. That's a callback to the handshake that new Sam didn't make. And old Sam's really touched by that, that act of affection, even though it really didn't come naturally to new Sam. And so, you know, there's really two things going on here, or at least two possibilities. Um, one of which is that each model is slightly different within their brain, even if they look the same, because it's so hard. Even though they can implant memories, they can't assure the personalities are the same. But they also... <laughs> to take a shit. So the plan is here that they're going to launch them in the H3 helium energy uh, pod that does actually go back to Earth, unlike the pod in the basement where they say they're going back to Earth, but they're really killing them. Or I think it's some sort of vaporization thing. Turn them to dust. But they never imagined a scenario where Sam Bell of any kind, any clone, would be viscerally and immediately and directly and personally faced with an existential crisis to this level. They never considered that. Um, yeah, sure, it's a bit of a weakness, but you can tell the hubris of the company. So again, it's a conceit that works within the story. It is pragmatic enough, um, or believable enough, I should say, but it doesn't even matter. Point being, events are events, and people are going to respond to even the slightest change of events in different ways, even if it's the same person or a different model or copy of the same version. And new Sam, the younger Sam, the one who's been taking charge, who's healthy, who's trying to figure things out because he hasn't gone crazy yet and his body's not deteriorating. You know, we see that Sam Bell can actually be a leader, a guy who can hatch a plan to try and save people and make things right. And you do not see that for so long in the movie from any of the Sams. And that makes you root for him even more. Now, I would hope people would root for him even if 
you know, this sort of badass take charge, here's what we're doing, knew Seb was there that people would still root for him. But that's what's brilliant is you are rooting for him. You're rooting for this guy right here. He, he'll, he can never, because of his mental and physical state, he can never achieve the level of, you know, enlightenment or at least awareness that new, young, healthy Sam has. He's still thinking about the daughter. You know, and, and back before when New Sam uh, slapped him five, he said, we did good, buddy, we did good. She's a beautiful girl, seems like a nice girl. They don't know that it's the daughter. They're all living in the lie to various extents here. I, I, old Sam, because of his condition, you know, they say when you die that you think about all the things in your life that you loved and, and not the things that were fucked up or that went wrong that didn't go your way. And I think that's what's happening here. And New Sam is just, oh, he's crestfallen. His heart is being torn to a million pieces. You know, as old Sam gets weaker, he tries to be stronger, but he just can't because they're the same guy. But what I love about this is he's not getting broken up in a silent, stoic way because this guy comes from the same genetic code that he does, but new young Sam is broken up because it's another human being that he's formed a bond with, who's gone through similar shit as him, who has been used, to say the least, and manipulated and created like he did, and they're brothers, and they're not brothers because they're the same person, or based on the same person. They're brothers because of their experiences and their growing love and affection that they have for each other. Here's the remote-controlled car. Looks great. Desert of the Real. Desert of the Real as an image is just really supposed to communicate the feeling of emptiness and loneliness that you feel when you realize that you're not in the real world or experiencing the real world. And then you find a way through your mental structures and your philosophical approach to touch the real world and how horribly depressing it is that you will never be there, but you can sense it. But like the desert, which initially seems hostile and brutally hot and empty and lonely, when you spend enough time in the desert, and I have, I spent weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks at a time in deserts and In your mind, the beauty and peacefulness and harmony and quiet, natural quiet of the desert is just, you know, it's, it's a form of enlightenment. I mean, it only takes you part away, but I love deserts. I always say I love hiking on mountains and through woods, lakes, rivers, oceans, and the bayou, and you know, tropical cultures, you know, I've been to Brazil, I love it all, but deserts for me, true deserts, unspoiled, are the most beautiful environments on the planet, and I think philosophically that applies, and that's what John Baudrillard was tapping into, was it's scary, but it's beautiful, and it's real, he just died with a smile. And now New Sam is left with all the burden. 
And he's had a lot of the burden throughout. I mean, Old Sam has come up with some big revelations or heard about some big revelations. So here's the brilliant plan. They still have the crash lander. And what's great about this, and, you know, I don't know if it just worked out, is that, you know, there's been other movies or TV shows or whatever where, you know, a dead person is planted somewhere to make people think that that's what went down, but really days or weeks have gone by and they haven't rotted. But because the crash would have caused massive decompression, and he would have run out of oxygen quickly, he would become, you know, mummified by the vacuum of space fairly quickly. I'm sure if they did detailed scans on him, they might be able to tell that he, um, you know, didn't die a few days ago or a week ago or whatever that happened, but should be enough to convince them. It's such an elaborate plan but beyond that, they, they have to, A, know about the new Sam, who's now the only Sam alive, other than the guy that's on the table in there, who will be kind of the decoy. doesn't even know he's a decoy. Um, and it's interesting that old and new Sam really have no regard for the other Sams. It's not that they don't have regard for them. They just can't think of it. They're, oh, the sunglasses are great. He's looking towards the sun, the light coming on him. There's the countdown clock. You know, they can't be responsible for these other Sams. They are programmed to be essentially machines of this corporation. They're biological human machines, but they are still machines. And they have a lifespan, and it is short, and it ends really ugly. And so what are they going to do but try and help each other? And then once old Sam, you know, passes away... New Sam's going home. Uh, this is so great. I mean, you should be convinced by now. Gertie's a good guy. He has been letting them know lots of information and telling them things they have no business knowing. But not only does he tell him the problem that he has recorded everything, but Gertie offers to erase his memory banks. I'm here to keep you safe, Sam. And, you know, it's hard to know the level of sacrifice of something like that because we don't know if Gertie has emotions, if can experience regret or remorse or nostalgia or whatever. He doesn't seem to. And it's interesting, he will be reset just like the Sams are reset. So everything goes back to how it was, or so they hope. See, he's happy, or he's acting happy. See, he has a hope. He has a wish. He has, he has, it, it gives him a blessing, almost. Ah, there's the full grin. We haven't seen that yet. Yep, everyone will be back to the original state. And here it is. Gertie, we're not programmer people. He says Gertie's a person. <laughs> he takes it. He's gonna take the sign off. He loves him at this point. It feels kinship at least. Up, oh, blank face, blank memory. 
Gertie's a person. Gertie is more a person than the corporate, you know, head honchos on earth that are manipulating this whole situation. They're acting completely inhuman and inhumane. I like that they tease the rescue party. I mean, you know, again, waiting till eight minutes to get this plan going, but whatever. You gotta do it. And I guess the idea here is that as the Eliza shuttle comes in, just to recap, the Eliza is the quote-unquote rescue crew, which is really coming to kill them and restart the situation or whatever. Uh-oh. Oh, shit. What happens here? Before he launches. Oh, yeah, he does this at eight minutes. This is pretty great. Oh, yeah. Yep. In the end, he shows concern for the new Sam. Because the new Sam is going to go through the same shit. And the cycles are going to repeat until one of the Sams gets messed up. Like happened in the beginning of this movie. And cause them to see each other. Existential crisis. New timeline. New future. New variables. Here comes the Eliza shuttle. I think this could be practical too, to be honest with you. I would not be surprised if that were a model right there. So the idea is that when he launches himself, the you know assassination crew will think he is a helium-3 energy um, deposit or, or collection that we're sending back to Earth. And now he waits till they're in the base to launch so they don't see him, I guess. Now, here's the repeat of every scenario. I've had an accident, how long I've been out. Do you remember what happened? And he always says no, although he doesn't say it there. There it is. We saw that at the beginning, the Helium-3, only this time it's a Sam Bell um, clone, which we do not know how long he has to live. I would guess six months, but I don't know. And we think that, or, or I speculated when I first saw this, that he would just go back to Earth and either try to find a way to heal himself or just say, I only have a little bit to live. I'm going to go underground, stay off the radar, and just live what's left of my life. Here's the rescue team. Yep. Yeah, I mean, you know, decompression... And lack of oxygen, I'm not sure you could really tell. I guess if they can implant memories, they could tell that the decompression happened a few uh, happened now as as opposed to a few days ago. But maybe a new Sam uh, did some programming. This is the first time we see him really happy. You know, they lie to him with the death pods, which are supposed to be the return pods that. They go in cryo-freeze, but that's a bunch of bullshit, or it's not that far. And so here's the, you know, the kamikaze attack, if you will, on the probably the second tower, certainly one of the towers, two of, of the three, whichever one is the main tower. And New Sam had set that to go, boom, before he left to try and take a new path. Now the live feed is available. Maybe for the future Sam. Maybe they'll shut down the Sam. And here it is. Very short. Not in your face. Clone 6, they call it. Interesting. 
So he goes fully political, which is the opposite of what I thought. And what's great is it ends on, you know, newscasters saying he's crazy and let's lock him up. It's not like, oh, the corporation goes down and everything's okay and he's healed and they end the Sam Bell program and blah, 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 blah. Nope. They just think he's a crackpot. And, uh, you know, that says it all. Um, the economy of this movie is really incredible. And so I'm going to leave it as is. Um, might put up a message board for this or a conversation on Facebook, but I'm assuming most of you watched the movie first. If you didn't, I'm hoping you still got a good sense of it as you listen to the commentary. But, you know, Sam Rockwell's amazing. Kevin Spacey, always incredible. Making a small part seem humongous. This is one of those classic first movie gets everything right. Like the original Matrix, which did have a much bigger budget and was much more epic in a lot of ways, but I would not say is on a grander scale than this movie. Even though it's $5 million budget versus $65 million budget, but in terms of what's at stake, in terms of our humanity, I think this movie is at least as impactful as The Matrix in those sorts of movies, if not more so, because... You know, the Matrix scenario, while logical, is still very hard to swallow. This is really easy to swallow. And, like, within a few decades from now, probably, although the cloning and memory technology, who knows. So I've watched this movie many times. Uh, not a back-to-back -back movie, but certain one, uh, certainly one I watch throughout the year. And uh, I hope you enjoyed it, and we'll keep the conversation going. And... We will look forward to more of these soon. Thanks for listening. Bizzle out.